Alleluia, Christ is risen. Today's reading from the book of Acts is all about someone named Cornelius, which is funny because Cornelius is not actually in today's reading. But this whole ordeal started because of him. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a Gentile, who was what was called a God-fearer. God-fearers were non-Jews who thought that Judaism was theologically interesting and ethically attractive. They weren't Jewish, but they thought that Judaism had some wisdom in it. They were kind of spiritual, but not religious. And one day, Cornelius received a vision from God that he should seek out this man named Peter. Peter, one of the original disciples who, keep in mind, was Jewish, was out engaging in mission being led by the Holy Spirit. He was preaching and teaching. He had just raised Dorcas from the dead. And long story short, these two men find each other. And they end up eating a bunch of meals together, breaking a whole bunch of Jewish dietary laws in the process. Luke tells us that God gave Cornelius and his friends the gift of the Holy Spirit, and eventually all of them get baptized by Peter. Now you would expect when the religious leaders back in Jerusalem, these beltway insiders at the center of the early church, found out about Peter baptizing these Gentiles, they would have thought it was great, right? New members, we love it. No, they are furious. And so they call Peter back to Jerusalem to explain himself. And Peter's explanation for his actions is the reading that we heard a few minutes ago. So to ask the obvious question, why did the church in Jerusalem not want Peter eating with Gentiles? In the very early church, there was a debate over the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. When Jesus creates this new community, who is going to be a part of it? Is it just for Jews? Is it for non-Jews too? And what the church in Jerusalem decides is a third option, that non-Jews can become a part of the church, but they have to convert to Judaism first. So people like Cornelius have to convert to get in position to receive the grace of God. So you can understand why the church leaders in Jerusalem were so mad at Peter. When they ask why he broke bread with Cornelius, what they're really asking is, what are you doing to us? Remember, since about 600 years earlier, the Jewish people have been in diaspora. They're spread out, they're all over the place. And because they can't define themselves by borders anymore, these rituals are how they define their identity. So when Peter eats with Cornelius' household, he's threatening the integrity of that border. If Peter is breaking bread with Gentiles, what does it even mean to be Jewish anymore? They think Peter has it backwards. The Gentiles are the ones who are supposed to become like us. Now, we're obviously far removed from Peter's situation, but it isn't hard to come across that kind of thinking. Of splintering off into smaller in smaller groups to try to maintain a sense of identity. You can see that splintering in our neighborhoods. Over the past couple of decades, there's been a rise in what's called school district secession, where wealthy communities create new districts, so their taxes don't have to support low-income or even middle-class kids. You can see it in our civic life, of course. White nationalists and their apologists worry they're losing their country because of demographic shifts. And you can even see it in our churches. 
Lutherans in America are like a series of Russian nesting egg dolls splitting off again and again over who are the true Lutherans. For folks who think the ELCA does too much interreligious work, you have the Missouri Synod. For folks who think the Missouri Synod does too much ecumenical work, you have the Wisconsin Synod. If the Wisconsin Synod isn't pure enough, you have the Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And if you are mad that the Evangelical Lutheran Synod and the Wisconsin Synod talk sometimes, you can join the Church of the Lutheran Confession, which I have a hunch is just like one guy at this point. <laughs> now those examples range from the comically absurd to the existentially dangerous. But what they have in common is a zero-sum view of the world. We do better when other people do worse. We can't succeed without other people failing. We can't come together unless we have someone who's being kept out. They take as an article of faith that there is a finite amount of goodness in the world, so get yours before somebody else takes it. So remember how Peter responds to the Jerusalem church's criticism. Peter says that the Spirit told me to go to these Gentiles and not to make a distinction between them and us. Not to think that these people are a threat to my identity. Now let's just pause here to remember that it's tempting to make this a story about tolerance. This is really not a story about tolerance. And tolerance really isn't always a good thing. Not because it goes too far, but because it doesn't go far enough. When we think about tolerance, what we usually mean is that someone else is doing something misguided or frustrating, or that we just find them to be weird or incorrect. And our response is to say, well, this is wrong, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of it because I'm busy or I'm tired, or maybe even I just want people to think that I'm tolerant. Tolerance helps us avoid outright conflict and violence. There are many places and situations where more tolerance would be a good thing. But tolerance is not a worthy goal in and of itself. It may keep us from conflicts, but it also prevents us from truly knowing one another and being enriched by each other's lives. It takes people's complex intersectional identities and reduces them down to who is this person in relationship to me? You notice when the Jerusalem leaders ask why Peter broke bread with Cornelius and his household, they don't even use Cornelius' name. They just say uncircumcised men, which is literally saying, not us. We are normal. They are deviant. Ultimately, the problem with tolerance is that it assumes that we have the power. We are the ones who decide what's normal. We are the ones who decide who's welcome. We are the ones who decide where the borders lie. And when you try to do mission from a posture of tolerance, things often go awry. How often is the message we hear from tolerant religious leaders something like, there's something very wrong with you, but we're not going to make a big deal out of it. Or even worse, God loves everyone, even people like you. Buried in that language is an assumption that we are the ones who are in control. We are the insiders who are choosing to welcome the outsiders. Jesus' resurrection totally upends that way of thinking. How does Peter put what's happened? If God gave to the Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in Jesus, who was I that I could hinder God? Notice the shift that's happened there. 
Who's the one with the power in this story? It's not Peter. It's God. Peter is saying, God is the one who's welcomed Gentiles into the community. This wasn't my decision that I made. Peter is not breaking bread with Gentiles and then putting a tolerance bumper sticker on the back of his Subaru. Peter's saying, if God has given the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, that's where we need to be. For Peter, the meal is the secondary thing. The real thing is this new relationship God is creating. You could even imagine Peter saying, if you're mad about what I did with the Gentiles, you're going to be very upset when you find out what God did with the Gentiles. God gave them the Holy Spirit. I just gave them lunch. And that focus on God's action has a very important implication. Because when we engage the world trying to be tolerant, who is the one that's wrong? It's always them. Even when we are being tolerant, we're being tolerant of their wrongness. Does Peter say that? No, Peter actually implies something else. When Peter has this conversion experience, he discovers that he was wrong the whole time. Peter was skeptical of the Gentiles and thought that Jesus was just for people like me. And then it turns out he was wrong. So what Peter finds, what we all find, is not just that this group of people isn't as bad as we thought. We actually discover something new about God. About God's desire to be with, for, and near all people. Whenever we think that blasé tolerance is good enough, that the best we can do is agree to disagree, that avoiding conflict is the kingdom of God, God keeps on going, and God keeps on pushing. And God keeps on saying, Peter, you are going to get up and go break bread with Cornelius, and if you don't feel like doing that, I'm going to send Cornelius to come and find you. When we discover that God is doing something that we haven't signed off on, that we haven't approved of, it changes the way we see the world. We see that what we often consider to be the center of the universe, our experiences, our norms, our practices, are not the center of God's vision. To discover the wideness of God's mercy is often to find the narrowness of our own moral vision. But there's a certain grace in that too. Because it turns out that this whole time we had it the wrong way around. God does love everyone, even people like us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.